Thank you, ladies. We appreciate that. Aren't you glad he gave his life for yours? Amen. That's good. Amen. I'm getting a big argument. No, he gave his life for me. No, no, he gave his life for me. No, he gave his life for me. No, he gave his life for all of us. Amen. That's good. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to read through the first six verses of that passage and then we're going to take a quick look at it and then we're going to move along. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. I know we have that meeting tonight and all. Let me get my uh, phone here. I left my watch somewhere and I I'll make sure I don't go too late, right? Actually, I don't want to do that, do I? Yeah, that'll be good, I guess. All right. I'll probably hit it and break my phone. <laughs> All right, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go begin reading there. The Bible says, But it came to pass, when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wroth, took great indignation, and mocked the Jews. He spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what Do these feeble Jews... Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they built, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So build we the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof. For the people had a mind to work. There was a document written in the late 2nd century A.D. called the Octavius Amencius Felix. That particular document describes a debate between a Christian and a pagan at the Roman port of Ostia. It provides valuable insight to us today concerning how Christians were reviled and how they were treated uh, in the early Christian era. Minicius Felix was walking about Ostia with two friends, Octavius, a Christian, and uh, Cassilius, a pagan. I'll never pronounce those the same again. But nonetheless, when Cassilius paused, say I told you wouldn't, to pay respect to a pagan idol, Octavius objected. Octavius being the Christian. And uh, a debate ensued. It began. And among the accusations that would be leveled against believers during the course of this particular debate would be that of cannibalism. Of course, the early church was being accused of cannibalism. We know that in John 6, Jesus said that you'd have to eat of this bread. And so word got around in pagan Rome that Christians were basically stealing children and eating them. This was the kind of thing that went around. These obviously lies, but nonetheless, they were accusations leveled against the believers. Not only that, but another issue that was addressed was gross immorality. 
because they would meet together and because in most pagan practices there is gross, uh, gross immorality, it was assumed and implied that the Christian was involved in gross immorality. And so as these two debated, those issues would come up. And among a few others, or at least one other, was the element of you believers believe yourselves to be self-righteous. Isn't that interesting? All the way back in 150 A.D., Already, the church was being accused of being self-righteous. But I thought that was a little bit funny when they accused us of being cannibals and also in gross, of gross immorality, but then turn around and say that we also think ourselves to be more righteous. It doesn't even, it's not even consistent. But then again, it doesn't need to be consistent. They're simply accusations and attacks. And may I say that accusations and attacks amongst believers has always been in vogue it's always been at the top of the list. It seems like Christians are easy targets. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Bible says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. They shall. It's not that they might. They shall. So get ready. Hold on to your seat. Might as well just plan on it. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be misunderstood understood. It's par for the course. In Nehemiah's day, as we read here in chapter 4, we noted that there were two men that were hellishly bent on the destruction of God's people. They would do anything to trip them up. They'd do anything to impede their progress or ultimately slam dunk them or crush them. That was their goal, these men. And so what we note here in the passage is the ridicule, right off the bat. In verses 1 through 3, we see them, being, them ridiculing the people of God and the work of God. We see this tremendous opposition here in verses 1 through 3. We see the source of the ridicule early on in that same passage there. And we note that the source are outsiders. These are outsiders who are marked the enemy. People on the outside looking in at the church, people who are not part of, that are the enemies of God and ultimately those that will ridicule the people of God and the work of God. We notice the substance of the ridicule. We notice that it's very senseless and it's unfounded. Early on here, we see that this particular sand ballot is mocking He's very wroth, and he almost jokes about it. What do these feeble Jews, will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? What do they think, and who do they think they are? What are they doing? It's very senseless. And it was unfounded what was being accused, they were being accused of. Over in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 even, in that particular passage, they say, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Nobody's rebelling against the king. We're just building the walls. We're restoring our city. We're obeying the Lord. So we see the ridicule, the source of the ridicule, the substance of the ridicule. We see the response. Verse 4 through 6. 
Verse 4 and 5, we note prayer. The first thing that Nehemiah does is go to the Lord in prayer. He prays. Now, if you'll notice, that prayer is pretty pointed. But he prays. And finally, verse 6, we see the progress. They didn't allow it to hold them back, and they didn't allow it to keep them down. They didn't permit it to discourage them or cause them to wander from the purpose that God had called them to do. No, they instead went forward. And we see great progress. So, what we find here is Nehemiah, the people of God, being attacked by the world. What's new? Nothing new. It's to be expected. I was telling the singles this morning, I'm often amazed at how many preachers whine and cry about how their people treat them. As if the people are going to be so kind to them all the time. I'm amazed that we go into the ministry expecting people to bow down to us and say, Hail the King. Are we really, do we really believe that? Are we convinced that they're supposed to, after the first three or five years of the ministry, buy us a new Lincoln Continental? Put us in a nice home? Increase our salary to over $1,000 a week? And is that the ministry? Is that what it's supposed to be like? Because if it is, and if that's what your idea of the ministry is, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You're going to go out of there whining and crying all the time. The people don't appreciate me. The people don't love me. The people don't care about me. All they care about is themselves. I can't deal with this. I'm out of here. I'll find a people and a church that does care. Well, let me tell you something else. It works the same way with God's people. You know, we go to work and we profess Christ and somebody gets in our case and the first thing we do is say, well, I'm not going to say anything else because i got my feelings hurt and they don't appreciate my particular stand on an issue and I might as well just shut my mouth. What's the point? Nobody cares what I have to say anyway. <clears throat> you know what the problem is? Our expectation. We really believe that people care what we think as believers? That what we say is more important than what a Ph.D. says or what some doctor from some university says or some study that's been licensed by the United States of American government or the money that's millions of dollars have been invested in that study. You think they're going to care what we think or what the Bible says over that? Do you think that the Supreme Court really cares what we as believers think about gay marriage? And we say, well, what's the point? Throw in the towel. It doesn't do any good. Who cares? I think our expectations are mixed up. I don't think we understand how it's supposed to work. Let me tell you, all the way back in Nehemiah's day, there's been a little bit of opposition here. There's been a little bit of misunderstanding and, and misinformation, and, and the people of God have always been accused of things that aren't true. So it shouldn't shock us when we're not loved. Just like Jesus said in John 17, if the world hates you, what's your problem? You serious? You're going to whine and cry about it? They hated me first. Don't you realize that? That was my paraphrase. So the people of God have always been and always will endure ridicule and attack. This past week, interesting thing happened, though. And I want to share it with you because I want to learn from it today. I want to encourage you and I want to warn you. And I want to help you. This past week, we were putting up the drywall at the church. We were doing everything by the book, by the way. Perfectly fine. You know... Uh, whether it stands straight or sideways, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many screws you use, as long as you have at least four screws in this line and this line. As long as it's supported this way and supported that way, it doesn't matter. It's all fine. It's all good. 
We had a few inspections we were waiting on, waiting on an electric inspection. We were waiting on an inspection on some plumbing down in the basement. And, and so as a result, which normally does happen, it's often it's normal, you start to put up your drywall on one side of your wall so that your electric inspector can come through and look at the, the electric on the one side. The gentleman, the guys had been working the first few days of the week, put up the drywall on the one side, the one back side, got halfway through the auditorium, and we got a phone call from an inspector. Now, now watch what happens here, I, I, and I'm going to use this. I use this as an example because I want to learn something today. Here's what the gist of the conversation was. I didn't personally hear it. I just was told some things that were said. The gist of the conversation was basically this. I overheard a conversation with some of your folks from your church having dinner or something. That's originally what he said. And they were talking about the fact that you guys were in that building working without permits. That's what he told us. And before it was over with, he said, I want every piece of drywall taken down. And I want to start from scratch. That was the gist of the conversation. He was all bent out of shape, all hot about some things, all up in the air. Not one thing, ground, not, not one truth to it at all. Not one. We've done everything by the book. It's all gone, just like planned. We were allowed to do our tear-outs. We had gotten permission from a gentleman down at the building department that runs it. Everything was fine there. We even had a walkthrough with the people from the city. They came through our building before we ever even got permits. Saw that nothing had been started. Saw that nothing had even been done. This man works for that gentleman that did the walkthrough at our building. Now that's why I'm telling you this because there's a couple things. I'm not convinced, nor do I know for sure whether or not he really even heard what he said he heard. But because that's what he said, I thought it was very important that we learn from that today. Because, see, the goal of the world is to upset the apple cart of the believer. It is to ruin the work of God in this wicked and sinful world in which we live. Now, again, he goes on, obviously, to a little rant about some things. And I think he personally has a personal agenda that he was trying to fulfill and deal with. But the fact is, is that he made some very, I think, um, sharp accusations against our people. And when he first said it, 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 first it bothered me and then it didn't bother me because I don't care what he says in a sense and I don't care what he thinks because I know what the truth is. And, but, but what bothered me is what if he is telling the truth? What if there are members of Community Baptist Temple out in the public saying things that aren't true about their own church and somebody overheard it and gave ammunition to a man of the world to ultimately cost the church drywall, screws, and time. And I thought, we better learn from this. We better learn before it becomes even a bigger problem, a greater problem, if it even happened at all. If, if it happened. Because honestly, he changed his story a little bit later and made it sound a different story, and I'm not even going to go into that story. All I'm saying is, let's learn from that then. We know the world's out for us. We know that in the end that they don't really care whether or not we accomplish what God's put on our heart to accomplish. Now, I am convinced today that, and I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to hear the statement, but I believe today that this statement reflects our culture accurately. Here's the statement. It doesn't matter what the truth is. All that matters is perception. 
Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of that in our culture today. Number one, gay and lesbian population. How many gays and how many lesbians, how many sodomites there are in our country right now? Let me, let me read you some statistics. Here's a Gallup poll. The American public estimates, on average, that 23% of Americans are gay or lesbian. Little change from America's 25% estimate in 2011, and only slightly higher than, than, uh, than separate 2002 estimates of the gay and lesbian population. Hold on now. That's the American public estimates. That, that, that is what you think. That's what I think based on the, 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 the poll. What do Americans, what percentage of, a, the, of Americans, according to Americans, are gay and lesbian? 25%. Hold on. These estimates and are many times higher, get this, than the 3.8% of the adult population who identified themselves as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender in Gallup daily tracking in the first four months of this year. 3.8% of people said, I am gay, I am lesbian, I am transgender, I am bisexual. All four groups added together comes out to 3.8%. Have you ever felt like a minority in this area? Let me tell you something. That is... That is perception. That is not reality, and that is not truth. Do you realize that there's only 3.8% of people that aren't just gay and lesbian, but that are also transgender or self-proclaimed bisexuals? That's amazing to me. If you would just listen to the media, you'd think that half the population of the United States is gay now. All available estimates of the actual gay and lesbian population in the U.S. are far lower than what the public estimates. And no measurement procedure, get this, no measurement procedure has produced any figures suggesting that more than one out of five Americans, which would be 20%, but no matter who's doing the estimates, it never even gets higher than that. The widely off-the-mark nature of America's estimates is underscored by the finding that in the most recent update from May 6 to 10, only 9% of Americans estimate that the gay and lesbian population is less than 5%, meaning that only 9% of Americans actually would say, yeah, we believe that it's less than 5% that are gay, lesbian. So that means 9 out of 10 people that you will talk to will tell you that it's higher than what it really is. They're convinced that you'd say, no, there's only 3.8% that are gay and lesbian. They'd go, oh, that's ridiculous. No way. You don't know what that is? Perception. It's not truth. It's perception. What do we base all of our laws on? Perception, then. How, how could you possibly withhold this wonderful element of marriage that provides so much freedom for people? 3.8%. That's not... That, where Gallup's tracking figure would put it, while the other end... Okay, is the other end of the spectrum. Get this now. 33%, 33% of Americans, one-third, estimate that it's more than 25% that are gay and lesbian. 
So one, three, one out of three out of every ten, or three point three percent of every ten that you talk to would say, "Oh, well, it's probably it's, it's over twenty five percent of the people are gay and lesbian." And that's perception, folks. By the way, for your information, I just thought I'd throw this in. Whereas 38% of Americans said gay and lesbian relationships were morally acceptable in 2002. 2002, 38% of Americans said gay and lesbian relationships were morally acceptable. That number has risen to 63% today. And while 35% of Americans favor legalized same-sex marriage in 1999, 60% favor it today. Do you know what that's all based on? Perception. We don't think that we have anything we can say about it because there's just so many people that are gay now. And you know what's happened, what's so sad too, is that the Christians fallen into the trap of believing that obviously they must be born that way then because if there's that many of them, there's something wrong with God. Now let's take another one, global warming. No, let's, let's talk about it because you know there are people that believe in this stuff. It's called our government and they want your tax dollars. 99% of scientists don't even believe in catastrophic man-made global warming. And yet they'll tell you that 99% do. You probably heard that a number of times. That thought came from a study where only 75% of sci- 75 scientists themselves said they believe in global warming. While on the other hand, there's over 31,000 scientists who have signed a petition stating that they don't believe in it. By the way, nature produces more CO2 than man does. You know, emissions. You know how we're killing the world, America is. It's interesting to note, in 2014, NASA finally launched a satellite that measures CO2 levels around the globe. They assumed that most of the CO2 would be coming from the industrialized northern hemisphere, but much to their surprise, it was coming from the rainforest in South Africa, uh, South America, Africa, and in China. Isn't that something? Perception. Perception. A new study out of Germany cast further doubt on the so-called global warming consensus by suggesting the atmosphere may be less sensitive to increases in carbon dioxide emissions than most scientists think. A study by scientists at Germany's Max Planck Institute for Meteorology found that man-made aerosols had a much smaller cooling effect on the atmosphere during the 20th century than was previously thought. Wow, I never would have thought that. Why, why is this big news, they go on to say in the article? It means increases in carbon dioxide emissions likely cause less warming than most climate models suggest. Do you know what this is all about again? Perception. You better watch your children if they go to school. If you don't have a handle on what they're being taught, they're being taught that you, as an adult, are killing their planet and that they need to be concerned about their futures because your parents hate the earth. You better be real careful with that stuff. And then so they go to bed every night afraid that the world's going to blow up or it's going to burn up or that it's going to run up with oxygen or something stupid like that. Perception. So here's the thing. Somebody, oh, let me just bring this up. I'm just going to bring it up anyway. I was going to say this. If you don't think I should be talking about this, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. Because this is the stuff that's ruining our country. 
It's destroying us. And these are things that we... I heard Brother Kavanaugh talking just today, and I was, I was glad to hear it. At least I got to hear some of it. I was in my office working. He was in there talking, doing the message, and he started talking about the Bible, and he was saying, was Jesus, did, was Jesus committing a hate crime when he, when he called out the woman at the well? Was, Jesus do, was he committing a hate crime because he pointed out her sin and said she was wrong? Was that a hate crime? He's asking his class. Was that a hate crime? Because he disagreed because he said this is the truth. This just isn't, this just isn't about whether or not everybody should feel good. I'm telling you for your own good that you're correct. You're right. You don't. You, don't, you did have five uh, husbands and the one you're with is not your husband now. You're right. You're a sinner and you're going to go to hell without Jesus Christ. Is that a hate crime? And I, I just, listen, not one peep in that classroom. You know why? Perception. Perception. Whether or not this particular inspector was telling the truth, I really don't know. I can't say for sure either way. But I'll tell you this. I can assure you, if what he was saying is right, if he honestly heard that and came to this conclusion based on what he heard, it was all based on perception because there wasn't one shred of truth to anything he heard. And if what he claimed is true, that he heard that, those accusations made over lunch or dinner or breakfast by a group of people from our church, then I say to you that they accomplished four things at least. Here's what they accomplished. Number one, they labeled their pastor, staff, and church leaders as being immoral and unethical. Number two, if indeed he heard that, then he overheard something that's hurt the church's reputation and testimony in the community. Because let me tell you, he's told some things to people. Not only that, but number three, they damage their own reputation. Because how can you say I go to a church that I know is immoral and the pastor and leadership's unethical, but I go there anyway, who cares? Be like a wife when she comes to me and she says, my husband left me. And he's doing this, 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 and this. And I say, keep that to yourself. Don't share all that with everybody because if you ever get back together, you're going to look like a fool. And finally, four, they provided the world ammunition to demean Christ's name and diminish his authority. Someone says, why are you talking about this? Because I want us to understand how important and how powerful words are. And people don't care what truth is today. Do you know how easy it would have been for that inspector to make one phone call after he heard that news and settle this issue once and for all? Do you realize, ultimately, remember when I told you that the building was shut down? Remember when I told you the fire department came in and, and red-tagged us and shut us down? Do you know who made the call? He did. He told us that. Now listen to me. If he really heard that, then maybe he had good reason to do what he did. But it was all based on misinformation. Because, see, nobody cares what the truth is. All they care about is what they perceive to be true. And we need to keep that in mind. God help us to realize how powerful our words are. And remember how important it is to, at times, hold our tongue. And again, I can make some application here, and I, I want to, because here's what I want to say. 
Let's learn from this, because I'm not convinced it happened even. The guy changed his story when he talked to us in person. And by the way, let me tell you, the inspection went without a flaw. He's like, yeah, you can put the drywall up any way you want. You can do this, you can do that. I don't care what you do. Before it was over with, he's telling us, well, you know, why put a step in? It'd be a lot easier if you didn't have to put a step in. I mean, it was almost like he was trying to give us helpful suggestions. I, I just don't know where all this came from. Oh, wait, maybe I do. Could it be Satan? So let's figure out how we can avoid Satan from, from getting a hand. or Because if, if, even if it didn't happen, even if it was all made up, even if it was all conjecture, I would hate to think it could ever happen for real. And you know what? In my own life, let me tell you this. I have said things in my life that I wish I could take back. So let me give you just a couple of things biblically that we can do to avoid fueling the enemy's fire because we know they're gunning. We know if they get an opportunity, they're going to cast those accusations. They're going to possibly attack. We've been blessed so far. The Lord's definitely spared us a lot of that stuff. And I personally think he spared us this too. I honestly, I was convinced everything would be fine, and it was. But it could have been a mess. Oh, yeah, we lost a little drywall, some, some screws and stuff. I understand that. But these guys need the muscle building project anyway. It'll be fine for them. So here it is. Deal. Now here it is. As we start thinking about these things, let's always remember to deal with concerns that we have biblically. Amen. Let's deal with concerns that we have biblically. First of all, get all the facts. The Bible says in Proverbs eighteen thirteen, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and a shame unto him. Get all the facts. Don't assume you know everything. Just don't. I mean, that, that's good advice. It doesn't matter if it's church. It doesn't matter if it's the wife in you. It doesn't matter if it's your children at their school that they're going to and they got kicked out of class. Don't assume you understand and know everything. Go to the teacher. Talk to the teacher. Do the best you can to get all the facts before you come to a conclusion. Go to the right people. Don't share your problems with people who are not part of the solution. I come up with that a long time ago, and I still believe it. In Matthew 18, 15, the Bible says, Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear it, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, again, this wouldn't apply maybe in a situation like we're talking about because there was never any misfortune. There was nothing that was wrong. It's just there was a misinformation or there was a misunderstanding or there was not... Somebody thought they knew something they did not know. Go to the right people. Ask the right questions. Deal with concerns biblically. Number two, be conscious of your words. Be conscious of your words. In Psalm chapter 19, 14, the Bible says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Be very careful with your words. Um... Someone says, well, yeah, you know, he records every idle word and all. Yeah, I know, but I don't even want to go there. I, I get nervous thinking about that one. But when we think about the Lord, Lord, is what I'm saying is it honoring you right now? Is it going to put you in a better light to others? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I think we've all been guilty of sometimes saying things that probably we thought that wasn't very Christ-like after it was all done whether it was when we were having a discussion with our wife, 
our husband, maybe our children, dealing with them, and we think, man, I shouldn't have said what I said. We need to think about those things as we go forward because there could be somebody listening that you're not aware of. How many times is somebody, you know, uh, it's amazing to me, couples will come in and say, well, yeah, we got in a big fight. So, oh, really? Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, it's just, we just wish it wasn't outside in front of the neighbors. That kind of mentality. Oh, you fought outside in front of the neighbors. You were screaming and yelling. Yeah, and there were some words that exchanged that probably shouldn't have said. Well, your testimony's shot. We need to be very careful and conscious of the words we use wherever we're at. Because ultimately, they reflect on the Lord. Then get more involved. This is a way to fix some things sometimes in our lives, whether it's the ministry or whether it's in the life of a person. Get more involved in the ministry or in that life. You're going to find the more we're invested in something, the more you're invested uh, in a person, a place, or a thing, the more careful you're going to be with your comments. You say, what do you mean? Well, when you really care about someone or something, you're more careful to protect it. I, I think about parents. You know that there's not, there's, a parent is more protective of their children than anybody is. You want to know why? Of course you know why. You, you, first of all, you bore them. You brought them into this world. You ladies came to the brink of death to have this kid. And now you've invested your life and your, you've invested your finances. You've invested your energies. And all of a sudden, you know, there's no doubt that you're the one that wants to give them everything they can possibly have that makes their life best because you're invested. You don't want nothing bad for them. You want only good. You won somebody to the Lord. You led somebody to Christ. Man, I mean to tell you, you're fired up and you get investing in their life. You're giving them truth and you're maybe even picking them up. You're giving them calls. You're encouraging them in the things of Christ. And then some joker from the church comes up and says, Hey, don't you know we wear dresses around here? And you go, What? I've been pouring my heart and life and soul into them. They're newborn babes. Give them some time. Why would you say that? Let me tell you why they said that. Because they're not invested. You would never do that because you're invested. You're bringing them along. You're holding them in kit gloves. You're trying to protect them from those kind of things so that they don't feel like everybody's looking at them and putting them down. And Instead, they're, you're building them up. Nobody's going to try to protect them and care for them more than you would. Because you're invested. I'm going to make a statement. You may not understand this or nor agree with it. But no one wants CBT to strive, survive, and thrive like I do. Nobody. It's my baby. I don't want to see it get tore down. I don't want to see it cease to exist. And many of you are invested in this ministry too. I say nobody more than me because God had me start this place. Birth it. I, I dare anybody to go to a, a mother and say, I care more about your kid than you do. She will scratch your eyes out. And be justified doing it. Get involved. Get involved more personally with people, situations, 
And we'll find that in our own lives we'll be less apt to do anything that would be detrimental. Number four, I made a statement the other day and I'm going to build on that slightly. Give the benefit of the doubt to your leaders. Now this one's more focused on this ministry and what's going on in our church. Give the benefit of the doubt to your leaders. I think, and again, you don't have to agree with me on this. Okay, this is, I do believe that after 21 years of being in the ministry, the pastor here at Community Baptist Temple, I would like to believe that the people of God would say, you know what, he's never done anything to throw us under the bus yet. He's never put us in a situation where we were in bankruptcy. He's never done and led us into a direction that's caused us to go downhill and be destroyed. Eh, I think we can trust him a little bit. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think I could get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that the staff should also get the benefit of the doubt because I play a role in their life. But nonetheless, give benefit of the doubt to your leaders. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. If the end of the conversation, if the words and the actions didn't line up, if somehow the direction of my life and ministry was going the wrong way, then you'd have every reason not to trust me. Every reason in the world. But at that point, you probably ought to think about getting another preacher. And finally, number five. Don't be guilty of devouring one another. Let's not be guilty of devouring one another. Let's be careful that Well, the Bible says, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. See, Tobiah and Sanballat, their attack was expected. They're outsiders. They're the enemy. That's how it works, right? I mean, we're of the Lord, and we have a purpose and a, a place in God's plan, and God wants us to make an impact in our culture and our society in which we live. The world doesn't want to see that happen, so they don't understand us. And, and as a result, at times they're going to point their finger at us, and at times they're going to accuse us of things and malign and mistreat us even. But we expect that. But the Apostle Paul warns the church because way back when he was still here, he understood that there was a potential for this problem. He says, but if ye bite and devour one another, if you attack and destroy one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Your ticket and your time's coming soon. We need to be very careful in our ministry and in our, our church to lift one another up and support one another. Never tear down each other. Oh, there's things that drive you crazy about people or there's an issue that's going on you think, man, what in the heck? Why does that person have to say that or do that? Or I don't agree with how they deal with things and I don't like that. That's, that's... Be careful, though. Be, be careful. Don't make it personal. Listen, we're, we're just believers here. We're people. We're, none of us are perfect. Let's get along together. Let's not bite and devour one another. A Sunday school teacher disciplines your child in Sunday school. And I know I haven't heard anything. But say they disciplined your child in Sunday school. Say they kicked your kid out of class. And you're like, I can't believe they kicked my kid. My kid's faith faithful than this stupid kid. My kid at least doesn't dread like... 
What is that about? And you're calling, you hear that that so-and-so kicked my kid out of class. What do you think about that? You think they should, I can't even believe that. Can you believe that? Why are you biting and devouring one another? I think I'd probably just go have a talk with a teacher and say, what happened in class? And, oh, I hear what happened. That makes sense to me. I know my kid's not perfect. He's just chip off the old block. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're all in the same boat here. And we just go, okay, cool. Thanks. We may not even agree with it. And we say, hey, listen, I just want to tell you, I don't understand why you did that. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know all the things. I wasn't sitting in class, so I'm going to give you the benefit of doubt this time. But, man, if you're having any problems with my kid from now on, please let me know because that just doesn't seem characteristic of my child. So let me know if you're noticing anything else. I want to be informed. I want to know. That's how I would handle it. And then I'd go home to my kids, and when they go, and you'd say, hey, you knock it off. You got what you had coming. Now listen, don't you act like that in class. Now listen, he's going to keep me up on you. If you give him any trouble, he's going to tell me, or she's going to tell me. I told him, don't, don't you let him get away with nothing. Well, they would think I turned against them. I betrayed their trust. Last time I checked years ago, it used to be, The teacher was right. I'm not saying that the teacher's perfect. I'm just saying, since when does an eight-year-old know what's right and best? They didn't let me in the front of the line, and I haven't been in the front of the line, and they let Johnny be in the front of the line. He's been in the front of the line three weeks in a row, and I never get to be in the front of the line. Whatever. So let's not devour one another, all right? Let's get along with one another. Those are just some thoughts. And again, it kind of spurned, it kind of kicked off because I got thinking, what if this guy really heard one of us saying some things we sh- that weren't even true? And I thought, we need to use this as a teaching opportunity to realize the world is watching us. They're listening. Man, you know, you know he said, that church... <laughs> They shouldn't be running around talking about what's going on in that building all the time. Why not? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with the church prospering? What's wrong with the people of God going forward? What's wrong with the people with a mind to work? That's a good thing. We know that people are watching and listening and they're observing what's taking place. Let me tell you something. God's going to use this, but we can't allow ourselves to devour one another in the process. And it's easy to. You get in a little small house and you get enough people, let me tell you what, you're walking on top of each other all the time. Running into each other. You get frustrated with one another. They say, there's no room, there's only room for one woman in a kitchen. Well, go ahead and throw five in there and see what happens. (laughs) Hey, look, this is what we're dealing with, folks. You tell me for a minute that we may not get on each other's nerves. Are you kidding? We're going to. Tell me that it's not going to, at times, people aren't going to gripe us or kind of make us a little uneasy. It happens. It's life. But let's be aware that there is an adversary. And he wants nothing more than to ultimately destroy God and his work. Let's get together and stay together and keep on going together. I mean, 
Give your brothers and sisters in Christ the benefit of the doubt. Don't always assume the worst, whether it's leadership or one of your co-laborers. I mean, get involved in the church and in the lives of your church family. Build relationships that will inspire compassion and concern. Get all the facts before you come to conclusions. And share those things, if necessary, with the proper people. Don't give anyone ammunition to attack the faith. If they attack the faith, let it be misguided speculation and ungrounded hostility and animosity. And God help us not to be the tool that Satan uses to discourage the brethren or to defile the testimony of the church, or to, dis- to distance the lost from Christ. Let's not be that person. Let's be careful what we say, and who we say it to, and where we say things. I say things to my wife in the privacy of our home that I would not say anywhere else. Okay, uh, that's just the reality of life. But if I would say some of those things in public where other people may overhear it, that would be very irresponsible on my part. And you and I need to be very careful that we utilize discretion with these. Because I guarantee you there is an adversary that wants nothing more than to derail the work of God in this ministry. And I want to encourage you to keep on topside. Stay up on it. Positive. Trusting and knowing that God. We had five baptisms this morning. People getting saved. Testimonies every Saturday in our service, in our, 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 right now taking place. God's blessing. Let's just ride the train and have enjoy the ride. And let's not look ahead to when we're in the building. Let's enjoy the journey. Let's enjoy the journey. Well, that was my little idea of trying to help us learn from the situation. Do I think we're going to have problems? Well, all you have to do is look at the guy standing here. That's problem. And I'm looking at a bunch of other ones. And the truth is is that the world's going to make things a little tough for us from time to time. But I'll say this. We have been blessed. Things have went like clockwork in our ministry and in that building over there. They're going great. Oh, we've had a few setbacks, a few inspections that had to get held up because of some things. But, man, things are moving. The inspectors walk in, the inspectors walk out. And they go, stamped. We've not flunked one inspection yet. I'm telling you, the Lord's been good to us. So let's just keep praying that God will bless and that His name will be magnified and glorified in our our community and that God's people will grow stronger together as we move forward in this endeavor, as we have a mind to work. Father, we come to you.